This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Whakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. It's Monday, a week since the cyclone. Yes, that has been an incredibly traumatic week for a lot of people. Indeed. And who are we introducing today? It's my great pleasure to introduce Manu Kedi, who is coming to us from that affected area. Manu spoke to us last year, maybe, or the year before. <laughs> uh and uh, but under very different circumstances, time Manu, I know that time is super precious to you, and you've got work to do. So thanks for making time for us today. Kia ora and welcome. Kia ora. So, so Manu, you're safe. You're vinyl safe. Safe? Yes. Um, I was actually stuck in Gisborne on the night of the the cyclone arriving. Um, I had planned to be out of the the region um, and was heading off the next day but did not uh, and uh, wife and son were home and um, were quite nervous we uh, live on at the marae so the marae is just over our fence and uh, there's a little stream behind it which usually this time of year uh, sometimes it's completely dried up but uh, obviously it, uh, that night it, it was not and it, it um, got right up to the top of its banks and went over the, the road bridge, which was part of State Highway 35, and um, and the the Marais just sort of um, just a little bit higher than that bridge, uh, and then our place is, is the same. So, um, wife Tash was very nervous and had the ute all packed up, and there's a queer who lives over the the paddock from us, that, um, and she had parked the ute outside her place and was ready to bail her in and head up to the Udupa, which was just a bit um, the cemetery a bit, bit higher than. Um, our place, uh, yeah, but fortunately, yeah, the water didn't make it to the marae, so and have seen some really tragic photos from Kahununu and um, Whare and marae down there that are inundated. You yeah, can't imagine um, how challenging and Urupa that are just under a meter of of silt and things. Um, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of a lot of stuff to do there. So we got off very lightly here, uh, Farno just over the hill from us, and um, a number of um, homes there uh, were inundated and um but no no loss of life up our way um and yeah one one so far Teparaka, just out of gisborne and um and quite a few in hawks bay which is so sad some of those stories are just heartbreaking so yeah the sun's shining and um the cleanup has started in our neck of the woods um just been delivering generators and things around the, the neighborhood but otherwise our, our family are all is your road south to Gisborne clear? No, that's cut off in a couple of places. So um, Tokamaru Bay is about uh, 20 minutes south of us, and the road between here and there, uh, there's a little gorge, and um, 
and part of that road has gone um, uh, probably and it looks a lot like about maybe 100 meters of road but it's um, got a, a bank on one side so um, I'm gonna have to fill it in or work around that um, and then between Tokomaru Bay and Hologa Bay which is sort of the next uh, leg it's um, probably about 30 kilometers but there's a bridge there that um, had a lot of uh, forestry slash built up and it knocked the bridge over, or knocked a few bridges over, but that bridge in particular is gone, which is on the, the highway and there's no workarounds there either. So at the moment, um, we, we've got access around the top of the East Cape. Um, and that's the way I came back when the road opened between Gisborne and Oportiki a couple of days ago. I was able to go through that, that gorge, um, while we go and then, um, shot over to Todonga, picked up some stuff and, Came back around the, the top to Rotoria. Uh, and yesterday I got down to Tapuya Springs, which is about um, 15 minutes south, sort of just before Tokumaru Bay, before this washout. Um, dropped some stuff off there. So, yeah, there's a few communities um, on side roads that are still um, disconnected who also have washouts and um, can't get around, uh, but are being supplied by helicopters and things, essentials. Uh, and we've just had communications back on uh, most of the region yesterday got connected, though a few places still don't have power. Um, so if they don't have a generator, they won't have much um, connection. But yeah, generally, I think it, everyone's present and accounted for. And that stream beside you, it's quite small. I've been looking at maps and things. It's, it's not a big, that's not a big river. Well, no, no, usually. Yeah, and even sort of most of the time you can walk across it and you get your ankles wet, but that's about it. Um, and so it would have been, I don't know, four meters high with, um, and there's a little house on the other side of the stream, um, that's low lying and that got inundated. Um, luckily no one was home. Uh, yeah, so it's, um, there was a lot of, a lot of water in a short amount of time. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Kate Tempest, Europe is Lost. Why this one? Um, I was supposed to go to Splore this coming weekend, which is a festival um, up north, and I was going to be talking about things, uh, but uh, not not going now. really need to be here. Um, and she's, they are going to be, be there. She was Kate um, when this was um, released, I think. Now she's Bay OK. Um, and I just, I, was, I hadn't really um, listened to their music before, but... Uh, have um, become a fan recently. Uh, I just yeah, sort of appreciate the, the rawness of it. And I guess sort of this whole uh, situation uh, reminds me of how um, messed up we've, we've made the world. Um, and as humans, and as humans in Western countries, um, and oh, yeah, just, and the stuff that we get distracted by and the stuff that really matters and, um, Yes, I just yeah, um, it, it's yeah, it sort of spoke to me as I was um, <laughs> actually I was traveling to Gisborne the day before the um, cyclone hit, um, and and since then yeah, just feeling a lot of despair and grief, I guess, um, in terms of what we're leaving for our kids and our, our grandchildren to deal with. Um, I really, you know, this is just we're scratching the surface of climate change and. Um, it's really scary, uh, and yeah, you know, the people in the city of Gisborne had no water um, for a few days, and, and still was on just backup water. Um, 
the, the pipe servicing from the dam to the, the city treatment station is um, broken in four places and it's quite difficult terrain to access so it's going to be a long repair. They've got a backup um, treatment facility that draws the muddy water out of the uh, Waipawa River that um, and, and treats it to New Zealand water drinking water standards um, but it's uh, limited in capacity and things and so the city was struggling and the, the as I say rural communities are cut off and um, you know, we we're like, oh, we need to move our house up the hill. No, we can't do that because it's erosion prone and this ground's not stable. And, and on the flat here, we're exposed to um, the river rising and, and flood inundation. So everyone's a bit stuffed in, in some ways. Um, and yeah, so I'm just a bit, bit worried, <laughs> to say the least, for, for the future. Um, you know, I've only got a few more decades, hopefully, uh, but uh, others to come are going to have big, big challenges to deal with and I feel for them. In the basement flat by the garages where the people dump their mattresses, Esther's in her kitchen making sandwiches. The slats on her blinds are all wonky and skewed. You can see her from the street before she moves out of view to kick her boots off tired feet. She wipes her forehead with her wrist. She's just back from a double shift. Esther's a carer, doing nights. Behind her on the kitchen wall is a black and white picture of swallows in flight. Her eyes are sore, her muscles ache, she cracks a beer and swigs it. She holds it to her thirsty lips and necks it till it's finished. It's 4.18am again. Her brain is full from all she's done that day. She knows that she won't sleep a wink before the sun is on its way. She's worried about the world tonight. She's worried all the time. She don't know how she's supposed to put it from her mind. lost, America lost, London lost, still we are clamouring victory, all that is meaningless rules, we have learnt nothing from history, the people are dead in their lifetimes, dazed in the shine of the streets, but look how the traffic's still moving, systems too slick to stop working, business is good and there's bands every night in the pubs and there's two for one drinks in the clubs and we scrub up well, washed off the work and the stress and now all we want some excess, better yet a night to remember that we'll soon forget all of the blood that was bled for these cities to grow All of the bodies that fell The roots that were dug from the earth So these games could be played I see it tonight in the stains on my hands The buildings are screaming I can't ask for help though Nobody knows me Hostile, worried, lonely We move in our packs And these are the rights we were born to Working and working So we can be all that we want And dancing the drudgery of But even the drugs have got boring But sex is still good when you get it to sleep, to dream, to keep the dream in reach To each a dream, don't weep, don't scream Just keep it in, keep sleeping in What am I gonna do to wake up? I feel the cost of it pushing my body Like I push my hands into pockets And softly I walk and I see it This is all we deserve The wrongs of our past have resurfaced Despite all we did to vanquish the traces My very language is tainted With all that we stole to replace it With this I am quiet Feeling the onset of riot Riots are tiny, those systems are huge Traffic keeps moving Proving there's nothing to do Cause it's big business, baby And its smile is hideous Top-down violence and structural viciousness Your kids are dope Stopping. Medical said it is, but don't worry about that, man. Worry about terrorists. The water levels rising, the water levels rising. The animals, the elephants, the polar.
polar bears are dying Stop crying, start buying But what about the oil spill? Shh. No one likes a party pooping spoils Sport massacres, massacres, massacres New shoes, ghetto wise children Murdered in broad daylight By those employed to protect them Live porn stream to your preteen's bedroom Glass ceiling, no headroom Half a generation live beneath the red line Oh, but it's happy hour on the high street Friday night at last, that's my treat Oh, went fine till that kid got glassed in the last bar Place went nuts, you can ask God Jail him, he's the criminal. It's the board of it all generation, the product of product placement and manipulation. Shoot them up, brutal. Duty of care, come on, new shoes, beautiful hair. Bullshit, saccharine ballads and selfies and selfies and selfies. And here's me outside the palace of me. Construct yourself in psychosis. Meanwhile, the people were dead in their droves. And no, nobody noticed. Well, some of them noticed. You could tell by the emoji they posted. Sleep like a gloved hand covers our eyes The lights are so nice and bright and less dreams But some of us are stuck like stones in a slipstream What am I gonna do to wake up? We are lost, we are lost, we are lost And still nothing will stop, nothing pauses We have ambitions and friendships and courtships To think of divorces, to drink of the thought of The money, the money, the oil The planet is shaking and spoiled And life is a plaything, a garment to soil Toil the toil I can't see an ending at all Only the end How is this something to cherish When the tribesmen are dead in their deserts To make room for alien structures Develop, develop and kill what you find If it threatens you, no trace of love In the hunt for the bigger buck Here in the land where nobody gives a fuck I do like that line in there, the system is too slick to stop. We don't seem to have the ability to actually make the changes we need to. Maybe this time. Let's be hopeful this time. There'll be some change here, but overall, I think, yeah, we're going to keep rolling on. Before this happened, before this storm happened, the previous storm sent a lot of slash down the rivers, mm. and you started, well, I don't think you started a campaign to deal with it, but, but you had considerable... Um, Tractional publicity over it. Do you think this is going to be the one that actually makes that change? Yeah, um, it was uh, cyclone hail in January, you know, less than a month ago, and um, and so we started a petition after that because we and when we started the petition, we started looking back on sort of the, the situation with slash uh, forestry woody debris coming off forestry sites in the region, and it started going back, and there were three events last year and. Um, and going back every year, there were major weather events that created news headlines and um, council reports and things. Uh, so uh, back for 10 years, and so it's not a new situation and it's going to take a long time to remedy, even if they stop harvesting tomorrow, um, the, the stuff sitting on hillsides and in catchments. Um, 
So it's got yeah over ten thousand signatures, and that did get the attention of politicians and um, industry. Um, and talking, you know, we sort of had community hui in Tolaga Bay, where it's been most affected by slash, and um, and there's a a tiredness I think on the community and hearing the um, the promises of industry that are going to change and, and things. And the minister for forestry, Stuart Nash, is saying the industry's changed since 2018, which was our last biggest one um, but then you know there's been five companies prosecuted by council um, the last one just completed last month um, and and that's from the 2018 event but then there was another uh, situation last year where they did an investigation and two more prosecutions are now going through the, the court so the companies aren't changing or well, they're not changing fast enough and as much as they they need to but Ultimately, harvesting, clear fell harvesting trees on steep erosion prone land is inevitably going to result in stuff getting washed down and, um, and they, that struggle to take everything off the hillside and we don't want stuff to be taken off the, the hillside, um, if it results in worse erosion than what was there previously. So, um, they have now committed to, cabinet has committed to an independent inquiry that was like, yeah drawing blood from a stone from Stuart Nash in particular, though it seems like he might be in charge of it, which is a worry because he's such a champion for the forestry industry. Uh, and as I say, it's not just forestry, it's farming on steep erosion-prone land. We planted the forest to try and deal with the erosion issue, and um, and now we've got two sort of yeah. <laughs> problems to deal with. There's, you know, my neighbour's paddocks are covered in a metre of sediment that's, um, that's just soil that's you know now the block that we live on 130 hectares it's got a gully that's going to be very very difficult to stop um with planting it and have retired it now but um our kids are going to be dealing with that uh, for a long time and there's just so many gullies uh nearly 2,000 across the region um they're almost impossible to control uh and they just get down to, to bedrock eventually and the hillsides disappear and so the fenua literally is yeah, sort of washing out to to see um and so the answers are really simple and challenging um simple solution is that we let it revert um and we've got lots of kainuka and manuka growing around but um there's um challenges in, in that as well um predator control is a big one and you know the Stuart Nash says oh well I've heard from Michael Fay who's got an island where there's natives that are um transitioning from what was pine and after he dealt with the pests and, um, but yeah, that's easy on a little island, but trying to do it in the Rokumara Ranges, uh, is quite a different story. Um, so it's, yeah, all of that stuff. And, and interestingly, Māori forestry owners have been pushing for pine to be included in the permanent category of the emissions trading scheme, uh, permanent forest category, uh, instead of excluding them, which is what NPI and, uh, actually Stuart Nash was recommending, um, and he did a U-turn on that because the, these Māori forestry owners said it was a treaty breach um, that they weren't allowed to do what they wanted to on on their land. Um, I don't think of pine as a taonga species, but some of them do, and they've said that. Um, and they talk a lot about their yeah, sort of uh, values uh, of uh, <laughs> kaitiakitanga and things with this um, exotic invasive species that they want to plant everywhere because the money's better on it. Um, and I don't think they really understand the economics of um, of carbon sequestration if we 
have an oversupply, which is the fact we will now that they've let pine into the permanent category. Uh, it pushes the price down and the value of their assets will diminish anyway. Um, whereas if we'd left it out and, and incentivized natives, um, we could have had looked after the biodiversity crisis as much as the, the climate crisis. So yeah, um, lots of issues there, but uh, we're optimistic there'll be some change. Uh, whether it's enough this time, we'll, we'll see, but we'll continue to push. And I think the big one is what's the transition plan look like for the region and for the country if we're going to say, uh, you know, Marlborough Nelson, parts of Manawatu and Wairarapa and up north, there's significant erosion issues as well with um, clear felling pine. So it's not just a Tairapiti issue. And as we've seen in Wairua and things, there's massive erosion issues there. So, um, but we need an alternative uh, economic option um, for regions like ours that, you know, like Taranaki's getting off oil and gas and Southland has the TY smelter um, in transition plans about what an alternative um, economic system could look like. Uh, we need to get on with that as a region and in, um, across the country. Our learner, Lucky in Wairoa, the river went through her house. She's waiting for a, an army digger to clear away to her house so she can see if there's anything left mm. in it. So there's, there's stories all over the place of that kind of, of destruction. Do you think people are you know, is it a positive? Uh, uh, we're hearing positive stories about communities rallying together. Is that where the positive can come from? That community resilience. Yeah, I think so. If it's channeled well, you know, everybody's emotional and, and sort of wants to help during these times of crisis. Um, but when the floodwaters recede and the sort of the, the dirt's cleared away, do we go back to business as usual, or um, is it enough of a motivator to? Um, get us to do that planning. You know, I was after Hale and before Gabrielle, I was um, encouraging council to to do risk assessments to support risk assessments at the property level for homes that we knew were vulnerable. Um, and they had other priorities um, at that time, which was you know understandable. But we really got to um, channel the goodwill into more strategic thinking and action rather than just making donations of clothes and food, which is great and understandable, um, but doesn't solve the, the bigger structural systemic issues in our communities and as a country. Um, so, yeah, it's boring, that stuff. It's not as exciting and dramatic as um, flood rescues and recovery, but um, hopefully the, the scale of um, damage and loss this time will uh, uh, be enough to motivate people to spend more time on the boring planning and uh, assessment stuff that can actually make a, a lasting difference if we change the way we do things. You went off to Taronga and came back with a trailer full of generators and Starlink um, mm. kits, which you've distributed around. Would it help? I know it's not a, a solution to the problem, but should there be one of those in every school and every Marae? Yeah, and again, I think after this across the country, probably we'll be um, thinking about that. Uh, local preparedness and um, and what's available uh, within communities rather than needing to rely as much as we did in this situation on um, external support um, and I understand you know we've been overwhelmed with food and clothing and things and some of that will go into storage uh, for those things that can waiting for the next one and um, was in a meeting with Minister Kitty Allen and others in between the two cyclones and she made the point, you know, so that it's not a matter of if but when the next one and it's not 
every couple of years, it's every couple of months. At the moment, we've had four major weather events here in the last year. That's every three months, and that will increase in frequency and severity. So um, we're going to have to be more resilient and self-sufficient as communities. Um, as we've seen the scale of this one, we can't rely on our neighbours necessarily because they are in a worse situation than, than we are. And our infrastructure is built on the logic of one in a hundred year. Mm, yep. And as you say, it's, yep. it turns out to be this is the third one in a, since Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, hearing the Prime Minister say we're going to have to look at where we build roads. <laughs> I'm not sure how much time we spend up here, but there's not many other places to be building the roads. So uh, our expectations about mobility and things are going to need to shift as well. I think we're not, and this technology is awesome being able to communicate without having to travel um, and I think we're going to have to get used to a lot more of that sort of stuff and less tripping around and particularly transport that emits um, a lot of uh, greenhouse gases and you know, again I think one of the, the challenges in this situation is we've, we're going to have a lot of support now for adaptation and managed retreat and that sort of stuff but um, it'll be interesting to see how federated farmers and the farming community who are very opposed to uh, New Zealand doing a lot in the mitigation and emissions reduction area um, feel and respond to the situation in their, their place in that. And I understand it's hard to, it's going to cost all of us and we should all be prepared to, to pay something and that it shouldn't fall on those that are least able to afford it. It needs to be borne by those who are um, best able to afford that. Those of us that are higher earners and um, have more assets and things um, should expect to be paying more than those who don't have anything. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dinan's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi aroha nui kia koutou ko I hope you're all having this day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here, making things better. Thank you. Now, I know that for us all, the last several years have been very tough, and we've really had to draw upon all the resources that we have and develop new ones to navigate our way through this very challenging landscape that we found ourselves in. And I know for myself, of course, the living world is a huge comfort. But for all of us, different approaches different strategies, different kaupapa has seen us through. And when we are able to come together and share, as we do on the show, about what has worked for us and where we see our future unfolding, this is so helpful. This is so encouraging and inspiring. So a huge thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team and to all of you for having I really love this show and I know it gives me hope and I know hope to so many other beautiful people. So I speak to you from my very tidy kitchen into a mansion that has been completely revolutionized thinking that my dear keyboard player was going to come and stay for this big festival that we were playing with the black seas very exciting but of course with everything that has been taking place at the moment the cyclone the flooding he was not able to make it but the very thought of his presence inspired me to release a lot of treasure back into the universe and feel a sense of deep gratitude for the space that I was able to create and of course the space that is now embracing me, housing me, keeping me safe. 
and how lucky we are here in Aotearoa that we are safe, that we are protected, that we are going about our normal daily lives. And of course, we feel for those north of us who are having such a challenging and terrible time. We are hosting a benefit concert this Wednesday, hoping to raise some funds for those up north and also participating in a larger benefit concert on the 12th of March again fundraising um, so I know everybody is doing what they can to help and doing their best to help and for all of us that's going to look a little bit different and mean something different so I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you you're getting the support that you need and you're able to give support in a way that's working for you too and of course for all of us we are constantly in this context of relationship and give and take of manaki manaki tough exchange and as a species we're very good at creating relationships and systems of exchange and it's very important of course as much as we are externally moving about and making things happen that we give ourselves the time and the space that we need to really consolidate these new changes and give ourselves that real gift that we can give ourselves, which is to go within and to return home to ourselves, to strike up that conversation with different aspects of ourselves and see how we're doing, to check in. And I saw a beautiful um, picture saying, whenever I want a break, I go on holiday to myself. And it was a lady reclining in the sun. I thought, oh, how beautiful, you know, if we can give that to ourselves, that when we, when we pause and we reconnect with ourselves that it feels like a holiday oh how beautiful so I really hope for you you're getting that time for yourself too and it's offering you the peace the relief the restoration that we all deserve and that having had that time of recalibration re-strengthening you're able to then go back into the world refreshed and even more hope and creative than and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon thanks so much Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Manu Kadi just outside Ruatoria. Manu, we were talking just before about pine as a permanent forest and I've got some pretty strong misgivings about the likelihood of that being successful. We don't have the kind of climate where that works and we already know that after about age 30 there's no benefit to having pine planted because they've done their job in terms of carbon. I mean, yes, they're great in the, in the first part because they grow so fast, but then after about age 30 they become a liability. So then the idea that they'll be planted to be a permanent forest doesn't actually make any sense. Yeah, um, and I've been saying similar things. The, the, the logic at this stage with... Um, pine as permanent forest is that there's uh, some magic that will happen and they'll become natives um, in time. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Manu Kadi just outside Ruatoria. Manu, we were talking just before about pine as a permanent forest and I've got some pretty strong misgivings about the likelihood of that being successful. We don't have the kind of climate where that works and we already know that after about age 30, there's no benefit to having pine planted because they've done their job into carbon. I mean, yes, they're great in the, in the first part because they grow so fast, but then after about age 30, they become a liability. So then the idea that they'll be planted to be a permanent forest doesn't actually make any sense. Yeah, um, and I've been saying similar things. 
the 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 logic at this stage with um, pine as permanent forest is that there's uh, some magic that will happen and they'll become natives um, in time and uh, that's the big challenge for those that are arguing for it at the moment because there's no evidence that that's the case. In fact, there's contrary evidence that says even Pinus radiata, which aren't the sort of wilding conifers that you get down south, but Pinus radiata are also in, much more invasive than we thought they were, that they um, replicate themselves and, and get out of control uh, much more than um, what anyone expected. And uh, so there's, as I say, the Māori forestry industry uh, representatives have been arguing that they're going to transition their pine forests into indigenous rainforests somehow one day, but uh, nobody's been able to produce a single um, study showing how that could happen. And given the diversity of landscapes and climate and um, species and uh, pest situations, uh, we're going to need uh, good quality information on what a management regime for that to happen would look like across many different contexts and the research on that is beginning but it's only just starting and obviously it's going to take many years to work out what works and, and what doesn't. Um, Adam Forbes at Canterbury University has been leading that and he is very clear that there's no um, no known way to uh, transition a pine forest successfully into indigenous let alone across the range of uh, contexts that we're going to need. So uh, yeah, it's tricky. Um, eh, eh, hence, the you know, from my perspective, all the more reason to incentivize indigenous uh, regeneration. Um, and indigenous planting is very expensive, but people are working on um, options more like a pine plantation uh, from a cost basis. Um, Alison Jews and others have been. Um, Demonstrating, they've got demonstration sites and sort of getting the price right down for planting. But again, a good uh, pest control is essential. And um, and from our perspective, we've got a lot of kanuka that's regenerated on Māori land since it became econom uneconomic to, to farm it. Um, and the seed blown or bird delivered seed uh, is a great way to uh, get stuff going if you can exclude uh, stock and ideally control pests. Um, kanuka is good as a nursery crop and manuka, uh, but you also need to create options, um, you know, cut out patches or lines so that other species can come through. And we're on the East Coast, there's just a few remnants of um, sort of diverse indigenous forests left that most of it was burnt and cut down to, to create farms 100, 120 years ago. But um, there's still seed source available. So that feels like realistic option from from my perspective but we've got to find economic models and you know whether that's biodiversity credits or other things to um, support uh, that transition from pasture and pine to um, to natives quickly you know it's really urgent on the weekend I drove to Wellington took my girl down to university and as I was driving through the central North Island, I, I saw something I've never, ever seen before, which is acre after acre after acre of pine forest topped by the wind. That wind oh. just whipped through there and just broke the trees, snapped mm. them like twigs. And the ones that were still standing were, were on such an angle that, that I don't think that they can be salvaged. Um, mm. And it just made me realise just how ridiculous it is that we've got so much uh, of our economy tied to 
this tree that really doesn't belong here. It wasn't ever meant for our kind of environment or our kind of soil even. even. Yeah. The other thing that um, has been on my mind, Manu, and, and um, this is, you know, from the last cyclone, the Prime Minister talked about the insurance companies are starting to get really antsy about keeping us insured here in the in the Bay of Plenty down into Tairawhiti. Uh And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that, because I see risk there for all of us. Yeah, I mean, around our part of the, the region and the country, there's pretty low proportion of people that have insurance anyway um, and so in that sense it probably won't affect us too much but um, Gisborne City you know along coastlines and other places around the country it will become um, a real issue and obviously in Hawke's Bay now um, insurance you know we saw after Christchurch insurance premiums jumped up and uh, and there's a lot of support from insurance companies to do better around planning I think and um and risk mitigation, uh, which is great because they've got a real financial incentive to to do that. Um, but yeah, they're certainly getting to the place where um, such you know where particular locations will be uninsurable, um, and we'll see what what comes out of this current uh, situation. So um, it's yeah, things are going to have to change if people want to protect their assets like that. Yeah. It was um I think it was while Jacinda was still the Prime Minister, I think it was sometime last year there was some talk about the government introducing its own insurer, becoming an insurer in itself, um, and wearing the liability for for exactly the problem that we have here on the east coast. Mm. Do you think we're getting well, a step closer to that now? Yeah, I'm not sure that's quite the answer if it's got a um you know, a greater risk tolerance perhaps than Private insurance, uh, I guess you can take the profit margin out of it, but um, you still wouldn't want to be insuring stuff that has got a high chance of uh, being damaged and the taxpayer needing to pick that up or the, you know, that, that those insurance premiums as a publicly owned entity would, would still be going up if that was the case. Um, and I've had some conversations with philanthropy about similar things. Um, and I, I, th- I, I do think there's probably, a, um, or there, there should be a not-for-profit insurance um, options to uh, help reduce those premiums um, but still at a sort of commercial basis um, you know, that so that they're, they're making their own formulas and things but they might be a little bit more tolerance um, than there is in the purely commercial for-profit uh, industry um, and likewise iwi probably are getting to a point where they've got the kind of uh, capital base to be underwriting some of that stuff um, or sort of working with underwriters internationally um, but ultimately it'll you know it does come back to what are we building and where are we building it and um, where are we we living um, and I think local government is going to struggle to get insurance for its infrastructure and things as well so uh, yeah we're going to have to our, our whole economic model is going to need to to change in terms of where our income goes and um, and putting more aside for repairs <laughs> feels like it's going to become a necessity um, for everybody. I need to squeeze in the second of your music choices. Also something more positive. Sound of Sunshine, mm. Michael Frenti. <laughs> Why this one? Well, after the first one, that's quite um, 
pessimistic and <laughs> gloomy about the state of the world. I felt like it needed some kind of reason to continue on. And um, I heard an interview with Billy Bragg on the weekend, who's a famous sort of political singer, and he made the point that music and songs uh, inspire us or can inspire us and give us hope um, that things can be done differently. And I've always found Michael Franti's work and music to do that for me. Um, you know, he's very critical of, or particularly earlier on, um, was he's got a bit softer in his old age. Um, but I, I like this song for its positivity. And um, it was kind of, I think I first heard it in sort of, um, well, it was sort of after the, the Bush years and, uh, and he was very critical of um, American foreign policy and things. And, um, but you can kind of get to quite a, um, a gloomy place yourself um, if, if that's all, <laughs> all that you listen to or, or think about. Um, and he found ways to celebrate beauty and kindness and find joy. Um, and I appreciate that. So I like the song as a pick me up um, to remind me that there is so much goodness in the world. And I was in our local valley yesterday taking photos of drowned sheep and uh, houses dislodged by the floodwaters and stuff and uh, and it was quite quite gloomy but then I hung around till dusk and and went up to another part of the valley that's just so beautiful and I took photos there and um and it similarly kind of reminded me that there's tranquility and peace and beauty still in our community and good things that we should celebrate Shoes and relax your feet. They say that miracles 
never, never ceasing And every single song needs a literary release And stereo bumper till the sun goes down And I only want to hear that sound big impact on on mental health mm. do, do we do we need a campaign of staying positive or is that just too raw and wouldn't help i think there's you know i got sent something by my mother who um had some tips for kind of you know after or during a crisis and looking out for each other and looking at sort of noticing things about ourselves and there's a lot of stress in more than usual and um and a lot of worry and uh, despondency, I think, um, and uh, and that can turn into anger. And you know, there's been fights in the supermarket and that kind of stuff over access to food and the last bottle of milk or whatever it was. So um, we do need to be conscious of that, um, and maybe campaigns can help. Um, and I think it's also useful to try and channel, as I said, that um, that energy that can be negative into constructive stuff that um, helps us to come together, to look after each other, to, to plan for the next thing um, and to plan to, to know each other better. And, and it's, you know, I think that happened in Christchurch and um, certainly is happening here. Uh, Neighbours reaching out to each other that just don't take the time otherwise to connect um, and we'll be better prepared next time. Um, and hopefully other good things come out of that. So, uh, yeah, all of us need to look after ourselves to begin with um, and, um, and look out for those closest to us and try to find ways to support those who might be a bit further from us, but that we can, you know, just the, the generosity and aroha that's come from around the country to our region is quite humbling and, and overwhelming. Um, it's been so special and really is, sounds like a cliche, but it's really uplifting to... Um, to get those messages of support and the money and the, the goods that people have um, so generously donated and real strangers, just humans reaching out to other humans. And um, it's all, you know, reminds me to be generous in those times when I feel like sort of got donor fatigue um, being asked to support this or that cause. But uh, when you're in a, in a tough place, that, that um, support means a lot. So um, that all helps, I think, with mental health is being reminded that people care uh, regardless of who they are or where they are 
um, there's someone who's caring about us in this situation and will care about others in future situations. We've been asking people for three years now what we think people are going to learn, what we'll learn as a society from the pandemic and the pandemic response. Do you think mm. we've learned anything useful in the last three years? Yeah, certainly in this situation, there's networks that were established through the lockdowns that are being mobilised again. Um, so that's been a really positive development. Um, unfortunately, we didn't sort of translate that quick enough or um, think strategically enough to to think about how to um, utilise the strengths of those responses in this kind of crisis. Um, but we will from this as well. Um, and interesting in this one, you know, technology played a big part in, in the COVID situation, but wouldn't work um, for us here with no power and no internet. Um, but there are also options there, and I'm talking to some technical geeks about sort of offline options um, that could still be used. Um, but even an offline iPad won't work if you don't have power to charge it. So going back to the previous discussion on local resiliency and uh, the solar or <laughs> for our house is our next um, priority after this situation. We had a few generators, but they only last as long as the fuel's around and the, there's no power to pump the bowsers at the fuel station, then um, they're not much good. So um, we're very lucky to have technology like solar that can keep things going. Um, so, yeah, I think the COVID experience uh, taught us a bit, you know, sort of got us back a bit to connecting with each other. I think our communities were much more that way inclined even 50 years ago. And um, and hopefully some of those relationships and, um, and openness to collaborating and mutual aid um, that we saw in that time is stuff that we can take forward. And hopefully this crisis kind of reminds us to make sure we are learning lessons and um, building the social infrastructure to cope when these things continue to um, hit us as they will. Mm. So what does the next week look like for you? Have you got food and water mm. and everything you need? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. Um, and it's just yeah, checking in on those um, those families that are still without power and things. And, um, and we're just mobilising crews now to uh, stand up sort of groups that can help with the cleanup at different properties and then across the district with um, fence repairs and things. We've got a lot of stock wandering because there's no fences left and um, need to get onto that. And then trying to yeah, just uh, do my day job, which has <laughs> gone on hold for, for a while, but uh, sometime I'll get back to those tasks. Um, but in the meantime, it's here yeah, now and I think we're into out of emergency and into uh, recovery and then making sure that energy is starting to you know go into okay let's what's the plan for getting ready for the next one so we've got community hui on sunday to talk through some of that stuff and um yeah we'll see see where we go we asked the outro questions not that long ago so we're not going to um, go through all of those but so we'll just go for the last one do you have any advice for our listeners be prepared um <laughs> My mate's place I was staying at in Gisborne, he's quite an organised chap and he had an emergency kit, uh, which was great, and sort of like two or three big of those plastic bins full of important essentials, um, including some luxury goods um, <laughs> that he thought he might need some capers in an emergency and things. But um, uh, I think, yeah, having that stuff ready, thinking about what you're going to do for a week with no power and internet um, having transistor radios with 
that are rechargeable or you know dynamo or batteries um the radio has been a lifeline you know it's feels very old school but national radio and some of the local stations which you know were off and on because of the power situation um have been all the only sort of mass communication though the Gisborne Herald printed a run of papers to tell everyone to stop using the, the city water but um, and hand delivered them around the city very quickly um but being prepared for surviving at least a week ideally two or three weeks um which is quite challenging even just finding the space to store that stuff. And for many families, having that kind of reserves available is um, it's almost impossible. But um, also as a community, I guess, thinking about um, what we've got on, on hand, um, if we're cut off from roads and, and things to feed ourselves. And you know, again, fortunately here, we can go hunting or kill a mutton or a, a cow for protein. Um, but water and water supply here is... Um, is good because we're on tanks, but I'd encourage city people to get tanks, rainwater tanks installed um, so you've got something in, in a similar situation to this if the town water supply gets compromised. So, um, yeah, just that would be my main advice to all of us to uh, be better prepared for emergencies. Thank you for that. Mawera? Um, a note to myself to add capers to my emergency pack because <laughs> <laughs> I think your friend's very clever. <laughs> And life's too short to not have capers, and they're very small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Manu, thank you for everything you do in your community, and and I and you know while you are you know you're in your community and you're in there making a difference, it's the community of our whole country where I really see your difference. Um, because I I don't live in your community, but I see what you do with sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and your advice across the country all the time, challenging, pushing back, making people stop and think. We need people like you who are willing to do that. And I'm so thankful that we have you. Thank you for your time again today. It has been a joy to talk to you. I'm so sorry that it's under such terrible circumstances. And um, hopefully we don't have to talk to you about a cyclone again for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank you very much. Appreciated the, the support. Thank you. Good work, you guys do. Deeply, deeply about the curve you got. Deeply hot, hot for the curve you got. Deeply, deeply about the fun we had. Deeply mad, mad for the fun we had. Oh, my love, I can't make head nor tail of passion. Oh, my love, let's set sail for seas of passion now. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, Tipu Kanga. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Right Said Fred, Deeply Dippy. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Moira Karatai in Fakatani, and joining us via a satellite phone, we've been joined by Manu Kadi, just south of Ruatoria. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Matiwa.
creepy about your Spanish eyes. Sierra smile, legs that go on for miles and miles. Oh, see those legs, man. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.